uh, hanging out with Kenny a little bit yesterday, he was telling me that you all have been studying the Gospel of John. A few chapters after this, uh, chapters 14 through um, 14, 15, 16, and talking about what it means to have life in Jesus and bear fruit that lasts. And this passage that we're looking at this morning comes just a few chapters before that. It comes at a time where Jesus is addressing a group of people that are skeptical about his ministry. They're skeptical about the freedom that he's offering. And as I uh, studied this passage, I thought about a story from church history that I'd love to share with you. So I'm a Southern boy, so if I murder the Italian in this story, you guys just put up with it. I'm sorry. Uh, Giovanni de Lorenzo de' Medici was the second son of the famous ruler Lorenzo de' Medici of the Florentine Republic. Uh, the Medici family was one of the most powerful families in all of Europe. They were a strong banking family. The royal families in Europe would invest all of their money with the Medicis. They were also a philanthropic family. They, they gave a lot of money away to a lot of, to a lot of people. They were patrons of the Roman Catholic Church. They were patrons of the arts. They were patrons of artists you know about, like Michelangelo and, and Raphael and Donatello, basically all of the Ninja Turtles. Like they were, they were supporting their ministry uh, through the arts. They were paying for all of those things. And Giovanni, as the second son in the house, he was not the heir, but he was a hard worker. He was part of a family that, that was busy doing good for the culture. And so it was no surprise to anyone in his family when Giovanni, at the age of 12, heard a call to ministry and decided to pledge his life to the church. And because of his family's great connections all throughout Europe, it was actually really no surprise when he advanced in church leadership really quickly. In the year 1513, Giovanni became Pope Leo X. And seven years later, on the other side of Europe, there was a little anxious monk by the name of Martin Luther, who, filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, began a movement of gospel fruitfulness throughout the continent that spread throughout the world. And he looked at Pope Leo, he looked at Giovanni, and he saw all of the good that he did. He saw his family's great riches, their family heritage, all the money they gave to the arts, all the money they gave to the poor. And he was concerned that in spite of his wealth, in spite of his great family heritage, in spite of all the good that he was doing, that Giovanni was living in a culture that was trapped apart from Christ. And Martin Luther dedicated a little book to Pope Leo. It's called The Freedom of a Christian. And in that book, Luther praised his service to the poor and his godly reputation, but he said, I'm really concerned that you're trapped. And like Giovanni, we live in a culture where there are a lot of freedom substitutes. There are a lot of things that we can chase after thinking that we are going to find freedom in them. But Luther's message is still true. The only freedom is found 
in Jesus. There's a couple ways people go with this. I mean, there's, there's a really, like, you know, if I say the word freedom, most people are like that kid on the playground who wants to play on the monkey bars after the teacher has said no, looks back at the teacher and says, it's a free country. I can do what I want. When I say the word freedom, most of us think of like, you know, our, our personal desire to do whatever we please, our personal autonomy. And if we don't think of that, we think of free markets or we think of, of free churches. We think of the freedoms we have because of the great freedoms we have living in America. Um, but the freedom Jesus offers is really different. Some people want to just do um, whatever they want. Mark Tranvik, um, who's a historian, describes it this way. He says, rather than knowing real freedom, I think there's a slide for that. If it's, Yeah, there it is. Rather than knowing real freedom, people are much more prone to cling to some earthly good such as wealth or status or sex. And the result, when we chase after those things, looking for freedom in money or in status or in sex, the result can be a bondage that's deep and profound. And it's often ironic because it can happen under the guise of a supposedly autonomous self, a perfectly free self that's simply doing whatever it wants. Others of us look for freedom in our goodness. We're more like Giovanni. We we don't look for freedom in doing whatever we want, but doing what we think is good and right. You know, Christians have uh, a lot of things that we have opinions about, (laughs) and sometimes we disagree with each other. You know, we have opinions about alcohol. We have opinions about uh, our, our different theological distinctives of our different tribes. We have opinions about what is good and best. Over the last couple of years, we've learned that Christians have opinions about mask wearing and we have opinions about politics. Is it true? It is true. And those things are well and good. I mean, we have to make decisions. We have to make moral choices about all of those things. We have to make moral choices about what we do as a church or what we don't do as a church. But oftentimes, we look to being right. We look to getting those things correct as the pathway to freedom. And it's really a trap. In fact, that's exactly what was happening in Jesus's context. Look at this with me again, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, stop right there. You would think this is the Pharisees and the Sadducees who respond the way they respond, wanting to, to kill Jesus, wanting to like, see their identity rooted in uh, their history and Abraham and all the good things they're doing. But it says this, to the Jews who had believed him, who trusted him, who were entrusting themselves to Jesus' teaching. Do you know what that tells me? When we live in a world of freedom substitutes, even believers can get pulled toward those things. Even believers can get pulled toward a trap. To the Jews who had believed him, 
Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold on to me, if you abide in my word, if you're with me, then you're my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth of who I am and who I've made you to be will give you real freedom. The Jews got offended. They heard that offer of freedom and they shrunk back from it and they were defensive because they knew that if Jesus was offering them freedom, there was an accusation in that. He was saying, you're trapped and you need to be set free. It's dangerous for me to talk about the uh, mask wearing and the politics stuff. I know that. Um, it's dangerous to, to talk about that because I, I actually, I've hung out with you guys this weekend, and I, I think you guys are a church that has experienced a ton of freedom, and you don't feel like trapped over debates over those kinds of things. In fact, it's dangerous for me to talk about that because I think you're probably thinking of people in your life who are really legalistic, who are perhaps standing over and judging you sometimes. But what I've discovered is that the time I'm most trapped is when I'm right. Let me say that again. The time I'm most trapped is when I'm right. Because it's in that moment I feel smug. I feel like I have the morally superior high ground. And if the person brings an, an accusation against me, I feel the sinful anger rising up in my chest. Slowly, it just ticks me off. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's in that moment that I feel the sin rise up within me. And some of us are like the good mom. We, we see our friends being judged by the Pharisee, by the legalistic person, and we just want to respond with a fight to protect our friends. And there's a righteous anger in that, but no anger that's human anger achieves the righteousness of God. And so there's also a sinful anger in that. And some of us are like me with my teenage kids when they say things that I just can't stand. And we're like, how could you? I raised you better than that. And it just rises up inside of me. What is that? What is that rising up in our chest? Jesus would say that is the sin within you. That just like those who were trapped by the world's wealth and riches, by sex and, and doing whatever they want, are trapped by sin, just like the legalistic Pharisees, by believing that they're getting it all right, is trapping them by sin, so we too have sin within us. 
and it shows up in smugness. It shows up in morally, moral superiority in those moments where we go, start to go on the defensive and push back. Jesus says, They answered, We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? And Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins. And he's just not saying like all those sinners out there. He means everyone who sins, all of us sin, is a slave, is trapped in sin. But to people, to believers, to those who have entrusted themselves to him, who were trapped in sin, Jesus offers freedom. Jesus offers a beautiful rescue. And that rescue is twofold. We see two clear things that Jesus offers in this passage. First is the rescue of being his children. An invitation into the royal family and you becoming sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the king. And second is the freedom of loving one another. So let's look at those one by one. First of all, sonship. Verse 35. Now a slave, a slave, even if he was brought up and raised in the household, Paul says in another place, even if he is a part of the family, it seems like, like the religious people who were raised in the church, who know all of the right answers, a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son, a son gets the inheritance. A son belongs to the family forever, forever and ever. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the son. He is the son of the heavenly family. From eternity, he was the son with the Father, enjoying fellowship, eternal love and joy and fellowship with the Father. And yet the Son did not hold on to or cling to his heavenly glory. He came to earth and took on humanity so that he might take on our sin and pay the punishment that our smugness and moral superiority deserves. He took the slavery of death for you so that you might live. And his invitation now as the son is for you to put your faith in him, to put your ongoing trust in him so that he might adopt you in and invite you in to the family, into the beauty and the glory of being one of his children, one of his royal sons. And it's good news. It's good news because this is the kind of freedom, the freedom of being a royal son in the family of God, a royal son or daughter in God's family, is the freedom that you can have 
even if you don't experience any freedom in this world. It's the kind of freedom that you can have in a concentration camp in China. It's the kind of freedom that you can have in a South African slum. It's the kind of freedom that you can have if, if you're a fighter on the ground in Ukraine and the world is falling apart around you. Even those who experience no freedom of family history, no freedom of wealth, no freedom of comfort and security, no freedom of having the moral high ground, are invited to put their trust in Christ and receive freedom in Him. I want to be careful with this illustration because... um, I know there are those who have experienced a ton of abuse, and, and that is, um, we need to stand for justice in those situations. Um, but I think of Corey Ten Boom, who was in a place where she had no ability to be rescued from that abuse. She, her, she and her sister were arrested um, by the Nazis and put for harboring Jewish families, and they were put in a concentration camp in Europe. And they experienced abuse again and again and again. They snuck a, a Bible in. They, the men and the women who came into the concentration camp had to strip down naked and, and be searched. And she had been hiding a Bible in her cloak, and she said, can I just run to the restroom before this trip search? And for whatever reason, the Nazi soldier said yes, so she runs to the bathroom and hides the Bible underneath the toilet, and then goes back out and is strip searched, and then afterwards goes back and finds that Bible again, and takes it back into her cell and begins to to open the Word for the women in that camp. She's one of the few survivors because in the midst of the, the deep abuse and oppression, in the midst of watching her sister die, and many friends die there in that concentration camp, she held on to Jesus and was able to come out on the other side and say, even there, there was freedom that I had that isn't the freedom of any of the substitutes we run after in this life, a freedom that says, I'm a daughter of the King, and so I can cling to Him even when the world is falling apart all around me. That's the freedom that you have been given. That is the freedom that you've been given when the friend or the family member stands in judgment over you. And you feel the anger begin to rise up in your chest. And you want to respond. I know, I want to write like a 10-paragraph Facebook post in that moment. (laughs) When you feel that rising up in your chest, it's a freedom to know I'm a son of the Most High. I belong to the royal family. And what's the next verse say? And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. My identity, my status before heaven 
is not challenged one bit by what this other person says. As we sung just a while ago, what the King of Heaven says about you, what He says, is more important than what anyone else says. You are free as a royal son of the Most High. And it's only when you live in that freedom, it's only when you root your identity, when you root your life in that freedom, the only freedom that won't let you down, that you can experience the second kind of freedom that Jesus offers here. And that is the freedom to love your neighbor. You see, it's not just a freedom for your sake so that you get heaven. It's a freedom that you get to share with other people. By show, instead of giving them smugness and moral superiority, you give them love. You learn to love them. That's what I need as a parent of teenagers. When the anger rises, is to remember who and whose I am so that I can love my children as my daughter's. That's what you need to. Whatever critique you're experiencing, whatever is coming against you, you need that kind of love. Look, look with me at verse uh, 37. Verse 37. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you've heard from your Father. Now, in our culture, um, you have a lot of freedom. And a person growing up um, can kind of pretty much decide whatever job they want to work in life. And so if um, my oldest daughter and I are um, visiting colleges right now, she wants to do biomedical science, so looking at Purdue, but um, she's kind of gone back and forth between things, like, and you guys probably did too. All, half of America has changed their major at one time or another, and, or changed their career. Um, but you can pretty much decide, like, if I, I want to be an accountant, I can pr- go get a degree. If, as long as I learn the skills and get the degree necessary for that job, and I give a good interview, then I can have that job. But in the ancient culture of Bible times, that wasn't the case. Um, for the most part, if you were, you, a son did what their dad did, for the most part. It was an apprenticeship culture. So if your dad was a carpenter, most likely you were a carpenter. If your dad was a scribe, then most likely you would be a scribe. You know, if your dad was a slave, you would be a slave. That in that apprenticeship culture, you became like your dad. Now, there's exceptions. There's even exceptions in the Bible. You know, Matthew moves from being a tax collector to being an apostle. Jesus was the son of a carpenter, but then he became an evangelist, and, and he was the Messiah. But the exceptions actually prove the rule. The people stories that are told often in the Bible, that change in that way are told because they are so exceptional, so different than what was normally experienced. And I think you see this in in Peter and Andrew, whose 
came from a family of fishermen, and they were fishermen. And in order to call them, Jesus, Jesus had to kind of craft evangelism ministry in fisherman language. I'm going to make you fishers of men. This is something you know, like something you've experienced in that apprenticeship culture that's going to translate over to what I'm calling you to do. In the midst of that culture, Jesus looks at the Pharisees, and he sees their desire to put him to death. He sees their desire to, um, the Jewish, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, all, and the Jewish, those, even those who it seemed like were putting their trust in him, and he sees their desire to, in their hearts to murder him, their desire to hand him over. And he says to them, look, this is an apprenticeship culture. You're showing by the character and the hatred and the lies in your heart who your dad is. Your dad is the devil. Your dad is Satan himself. And the truth is that apart from Christ, that's true for us too. Up on us, the slide is Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 3. This is what the Apostle Paul says about this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature children, sons of wrath, children of wrath. Those who by nature desert, not just deserved wrath, as the NIV says up on the screen, but we, we were children of being under sin, under judgment. That's who we are apart from Christ. And yet, when you receive His offer of freedom, when you become a royal son in the royal family, the same principle applies. Now in Christ, you show forth His character, the character of the loving Father who sent the Son for you. Um, this, uh, this weekend, we did the parenting conference, and I came in a little bit early on Saturday morning, and um, is Don your dad? Yeah, and Don, like, accosted me <laughs> at the door. He's like, I don't know you. Who are you? It's like, I'm Jared. <laughs> um, but it was so beautiful to me. Don, his friend Jim... Um, Chris in the sound booth all weekend. So many people were here early, setting up snacks, setting up food. I came in this morning and watched the band practice a little bit, and um, you can tell that they love each other by the way they give each other a hard time. <laughs> it's just a beautiful thing. That is Christ in you. That's fruit. That is the fact that you're sons and daughters of the king. 
And without even knowing it, some of you, this is really true, without even knowing it, His love in you is overflowing to other people around you. When you rib them and give them a hard time, when you accost people at the front door of the church <laughs> and, and welcome them, so we're glad you're here. When you show your love to one another, it's because you're a child of the King. And you don't just have that as an identity. It's you've begun to take on His character. Whether we like it or not, we become our parents. We look like our mom and dad. Whether we like it or not, our children become like us oftentimes. They take on our character. They often struggle with the same things we struggle with again and again. Those those same struggles. And yet, Here's the good news. You're a child of the Father. And because you're a child of the Father, you will look like Him. And you will live like Him with such good news. With such freedom to love. Luther wrote that um, letter to Pope Leo. And I just want to read to you a quote from the beginning of that letter. Uh, He started it off with two sentences. Um, And I think in some ways he must have been reflecting on on John 8 and this great promise of freedom that Jesus gave. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to no one. I want you to hear that. A Christian is a royal son, perfectly free, Subject to no one, that means whatever anyone else says, they can't take your sonship or your daughtership away. In Christ, it is secure. But then also, a Christian, seems contradictory, but it's also true, is a perfectly dutiful servant of all. So that in those moments when the anger starts to rise in your chest, you, as a royal son or daughter, don't have to respond by going off in anger. You can respond with gentle love. Saying, I love you. I'm going to care for you. I still may speak truth. I still may disagree with you. But I respond with gentleness and with love. Here's my question for you to consider this morning. Do you know that freedom? Are you chasing after other freedom substitutes, wealth or finances or doing whatever you want or being good or being right? If that's you, cling to Jesus. Jesus is the one who will set you free. If you're not a Christian, come to him. That's where your royal identity is. That's where you'll be freed to be able to live like a believer. Come into this family. Obviously, these people love each other. You see it in the way they give each other a hard time. They love each other like a family because they're part of his family. That's the invitation today.
you have not experienced freedom, come and experience freedom in Him. I just want to give one other invitation as well. This is not in my notes. We can just be like, we know this is true, right? We know that we're not saved by our works or saved by, like, getting out there and getting everything right. We know that we're saved by grace. And so it's easy for us to just kind of dismiss that reality. But then the sin wells up within us, and we feel so trapped. And we just think, what do I do about that? Or the circumstances raise up in our life, and we just feel so trapped. Because you're a son or daughter of the king, you can confess your sins to one another. You can be honest about your need. John says, not here, but in his letter. If you walk in the light, and he wrote multiple letters in his first letter, in chapter 1, he says, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all sins. He says later on in that chapter, if you confess your sins, he is, not he becomes because you've confessed your sin, but he is because the work Jesus has already done, faithful, talked a lot about faithfulness this weekend. He is faithful, and He is righteous and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so today, if you're, even as a believer, feeling trapped under circumstances or feeling trapped by besetting sin in your life, the pathway forward is a path of honesty with your brothers and sisters, a path of confessing your sins one to another so that you might be healed, so that you might experience His great freedom from that. So that's also my invitation to you today. Let me pray for us. Father, we need freedom. We chase after it everywhere because we know we need freedom. Give us the kind of freedom that people have found in you who don't experience any freedom in their circumstances. Give us the kind of freedom that can only be found because you have revealed freedom in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this for Christ's sake and for His glory. Amen.